Sorry, Nas Daily, you were wrong, right? Okay. Because it's actually even worse <laughs> than you had suggested, right? <laughs> and welcome to the Filipino Freethinkers podcast that's also a video it's called The Meetup I am Red and I'm joined today by Richard hey Darian pleasure welcome pleasure pleasure oh my god finally uh, yeah yeah it's a, it's great to have you on the show sure. some interesting things happening this morning quite a lot yeah, uh, yeah. yeah leading up to an exciting event I'll get to that in a bit but first um, for those of you in our audience who don't know who Richard is yeah. he is a political analyst um, a respected book author. You have an upcoming book as well on Trump yeah, right. and Duterte. You had one already out on Duterte. Mm. You're a professor. You've lectured all around the world in elite universities. Mm. You've written for major publications, New York Times, Washington Post, name it. You've written for it. You are also a 10 outstanding young persons of the world. What year was that? Last year. Just last year, <laughs> so they managed to find the 10 outstanding people in the world. You were one of them. <laughs> and you are about to have a debate with mm. someone mm. who has many Facebook followers. Right. And, and who was on your, show, <laughs> on your show before, right? That's what I know. <laughs> no, no, she wasn't. No, she was just no, okay, no. Oh, she, okay, she wrote for our, our website once sure, or twice, right? Sure. Uh, but that's that's something that a lot of uh, liberal, mm. progressive people are riled up over. This this mm. um, upcoming event that you have mm. with uh, the propagandists of mm. the Duterte machine. And that's concerning. So we'll get into that. We'll get into a lot of things. Your take on China, your take on Duterte. But let, let's right. start with that. Like a lot of people, when I posted this, uh, this about your event and about our having this podcast, I asked them, what, what questions do you have for Richard? Yeah. And their question is, why? Right. So, so yeah, now you have... Fred, I've, I've written a lot on why, right? Oh, yes. Using a column. Uh, yes, 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 on the Inquirer, definitely. Right. Where I'm columnist on why Philippine, Philippine Daily yeah. Inquirer. Okay, I completely understand where the skepticism is coming from. But, I mean, first of all, let, us, let, let me just say what was the exact temporal spatial circumstance within which I, I made that call. Yeah. So my birthday was on March 3. I went to Pulag to the mountains and then I come back. Uh, so I had a break from social media, which I very much needed. So I did all necessary meditations in the mountains and I was I'm born in Baguio. So mountains is really where I feel completely at home. So I come down and then I, I check news and what I see is this kind of announcement by Comelec that they cannot arrange a debate between the two major coalition of the, or not necessarily coalition, one coalition on yeah. one side of the administration, uh, the Hukbong ng Pagbabago, yeah. and then the Ocho Derecho. And I was like really frustrated because my argument is, this is really the most important elections we're ever gonna have. Because the 2016 elections, you can say, well, it was so crazy. Maybe really someone like Duterte or even the Marcuses could have won it, right? Uh, because we did so well for a while that it created excessive expectations about the future. And that's where actually incumbents are even more vulnerable, right? And I wrote a whole book about that, why Duterte won, right? Uh, but also not Duterte, I mean, Marcus has also did very, very well politically in recent decades. So, so my point is that the next election is gonna be very important because now people have a time like, okay, we did an experiment kind of with Duterte. Are you okay with that? Right. And if, the, and this is a referendum on Duterte, midterm elections are always a referendum because we don't have re-elections for the president's option. This is a referendum. And if the president gets his top allies in, 
he's going to lock in not only the rest of his three years in office, he's going to lock in essentially a regime change. Because if, if he gets enough number of people in the upper house and the Senate raises the most important, then he will have enough number of people to change their constitution. The moment that happens, we'll have a new Philippine Republic essentially, right? So Marcos tried that in the past. He was able to stay in power for almost two decades after the declaration of the martial law. Duterte himself might step down because he's quite old. You know, this is the difference between Duterte and Trump on one hand, and then the younger guys like Bolsonaro, like Erdogan, like Modi, were actually older guys, uh, younger guys who can stay for long. So, so my point is that this election is so important because it could define the fate of the Philippines for generations to come. And my argument in my, some of my recent articles is that this is also not just a referendum on Duterte. It's also a contest for who's going to be who's going to be the anointed successor, the crown prince and crown princesses. And if you look at the surveys and all, mukhang meron na tayong heir apparent, heir apparent, yeah. which is Sarah Duterte and Bongo. If he tops this race, that's going to be around 35 million votes. Already as number three, he's going to be close to 30 million votes. And it's very hard for him not, I mean, not to argue to run for vice presidency or higher office. So that, that's why, as I said, Duterte might step down in 2022, but Dutertismo could stay for, with us for a very long time. And then not to mention the fact that you have more than 20,000 people dead. We don't know what exactly happened. You see, Red, I had a, uh, had a talk at MOA, uh, you know, Mall of Asia last year. It was a global youth summit. And I was speaking before around 21,000 people. It was overwhelming. But what was even more overwhelming was when I realized, oh, that's also the number of people who have been killed in this country since President Duterte has come into power. We can debate about whether it was extrajudicial killing or not, but isn't it ironic for someone who claims to bring law and order, you have so many unexplained deaths, right? So you could fill up essentially the MOA with the number of deaths under this administration, just to give you some visuals about that. So 20,000 people dead, or even more, some are putting at 30,000. Our relationship with the United States and China are in, in complete flux. No one knows where we're going. I doubt even President Duterte knows where he's going, right? Everyone is second guessing each other. I mean, if you know game theory, you know that everyone is second guessing each other. There's no grand plan. The plan is spontaneously being organized here. So with all of these things happening in our country, my God, this election, we need at least a proper discussion among the people who want to, I mean, the senators will actually define our future because they have an option to either uh, check President Duterte's imperial presidency or attempts at imperial presidency or not. So far in the last three years, we had certain levels of check on President Duterte. Like for instance, a restoration of death penalty was checked, uh, bringing down the age where criminal liability was checked, constitutional change and, check, uh, and change to federalism was checked. But, but the new senators, at least half of them who are coming in, could completely change the game, right? And yet we cannot even have a proper debate between you know, the two sides. And that was really frustrating for me. And yes, call me biased, but obviously the opposition, Ocho Derecho, was off for it. Yeah. And definitely they're off for it because they're pretty damn smart people, right? With heart and uh, with conscience, right? It's the administration that we're not up to it. So in my moment of frustration and being tired from you know climbing, and I said, <laughs> it's a new year, what is my resolution for my 32nd year and so on and so forth, I said, you know what? Okay, you know, anyways, some of these propagandists have been calling me out for a while. Oh, you want to have debate and all. Of course, I didn't mind them for a long time because, you know, our argument is we don't want to give them platform, right? Or we don't want to stoop down to their level. I mean, yes. that's the argument. Yeah. But I realized that, you know, if we're just going to get stuck in our own echo chambers and silos, what about, 
So I have this principle, I call it 20-60-20. Yeah. So they're gonna be 20-20 on opposite sides because philosophically, you're always gonna have disagreements on first principles. Yeah. And neuroscience can better explain that than anything else. You know, some people are reared in ways that they have more authoritarian mindset. Some people are reared in ways that they have more liberal mindset. You and I perhaps were lucky enough that, you know, we had certain uh, parents and certain developmental stage circumstances and certain type of education that made us more liberal leaning and some other people didn't have that, right? Um, so the point is you're gonna have 2020 on opposite sides, but they're gonna be 16 between who can swing in both direction. In fact, my definition of politics is a struggle between one organized minority against another organized minority for the acquiescence of the silent majority, which is the 60. Now, President Duterte supposedly have, has an approval rating of 70, 80%. But how enthusiastic are these guys about President Duterte? That's what the surveys do not capture. I think if you ask the seven out of 10 Filipinos to say, we're good pre with President Duterte, if you look at enthusiasm level, the number is significantly lower, right? And my point is, if we were able to set up a debate in a platform that creates a public square, not me going into the other side and the other side going to my side, if we can create a common public square, our own Tahrir square, right? Yeah. Then maybe among these 60, we're between the 20 and 20, we can sway some people to the side of sanity because the reality is there's so much anger and frustration None of us are thinking straight. Even us, we're not thinking straight. In the moment, I, even I do crazy tweets once in a while. I mean, maybe even my call was crazy <laughs> in itself. So I, I, I'm at least I'm aware that under high pressure circumstances, you have forced mistakes, right? Everyone is frustrated. You know, sometimes that's why I'm telling to the other side, let's just call them the DDS friends, like, yeah. hey, you act like you're victims, dude. You have been three years in power. You control the levers of state apparatus, but among some of them, there's this genuine sense that they're, they're still, you know, being sabotaged and they're weak and all, you know, sometimes you believe your own conspiracy theories. That's a problem, right? So some of them genuinely believe in that, that they're not being uh, given the chance to push forward their agenda. So if this conversation with the other, there's no guarantee, by the way, as I said in my column and choir, I'm walking into the den of lion. I'm going to be hated by so many liberals for saying, oh, this is just a publicity stunt. This, the other side, they already made up their mind about it. So this, there's no chance for me to win them over if I was really that type of person, which I'm not, right? But there's a 60% there, millions of Filipino. You, can, you have easily 25, 30 million Filipinos who are middle class by global standard. You know, we always talk about politics as masa, masa. Dude, we're 108 million people. We're an upper middle income already this year. We're actually quite an advanced country in so many ways. So if out of the 20, 30 million, we can sway some of them to say, oh, I know, maybe there's another alternative, right? And get out of these binaries, false binaries of party X versus party Y, this color versus that color, then maybe that could be one step in towards the right direction. And by the way, uh, this thing with SAS, uh, I'm gonna name her, yeah. um, it's, uh, it's just the beginning of something. My great plan actually is, uh, so our format would be political in the United States, yeah. whereby they bring people from Fox News and MSNBC to debate each other. This is what I love about the U.S. Punditry, things that people like me do, is completely standard there. What I'm doing here is quite new. Like, not many people are doing this. What I'm doing, um, so what we're trying to do is actually set a new culture whereby we, we want to expand this to political in Asia. And then I'm hoping to bring feminists from Malaysia versus Islamists, let's say, in Indonesia. Right, bring an atheist from South Korea versus a Christian from China or something like that. Yeah. Our plan down the road is really bring different thinkers from across the region. 
Because to be honest, you know, just before coming here, I was listening to Jordan Peterson podcast because everyone hates him or 40% loves him, right? So I was like, what, what's up with this guy? So I tried to listen to him. I mean, I love the discussions. I love listening. And Zizek and uh, Jordan Peterson are going to have a debate soon in Canada. But I'm sick and tired of just listening to white old men debating and telling us, you know, being the sage. Yeah. The sages are not supposed to be there. And, you know, 500, 600 years ago, it was us Asians who are the cradles of commerce and civilization, right? From Ottoman Empire to China. Um, and there's also a part of me, uh, maybe it's identity policy. I want us Asians, right? To also have this kind of big global intellectual kind of conversations and have it among ourselves. So this is actually part of a bigger project. Okay. So there's no single motivation. There are multiple factors that came together for this to happen. And the Catholic in me says maybe um, it was God's plan because the more I'm getting bashed, I'm saying, you know what? I'm just going to go with this. If I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb, <laughs> then let it be at this in the future, someone can learn from my experience and do it better. Because definitely we're going to do errors here and there. No problem. Yeah. I accept that. So you're the Daniel then going into the... Let's <laughs> <laughs> that's the persona you've uh, taken up. Like a lot of people will not have the attention span to go sure. through all of the things that we'll, we'll talk about. So sure. let's get some things clear. Are you anti-Duterte? Would you, uh -huh. would you call yourself that? Yeah, so if I have also this 20-60-20, okay. <laughs> I have a similar kind of formula when it comes to um, uh, President Duterte. I mean, Deng Xiaoping, the, 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 the leader of China, um, he said some, he had this kind of 70-30 formula with Mao Zedong, kind of like he got it 70% right and 30% wrong, but he was being nice, right? So I may have also my 70-30% principle. I know there's an argument against that, that you cannot go quantitatively. Yeah. And I know the argument is called the red line argument. You see, you can do five great things and five bad things. But if among the five bad things you do, you did something really bad, yeah. screw the other five, right? Yeah, yeah. I understand. That's the reason why I'm not in this administration. I had the option to be in this administration. Yeah. I could be an advisor of this president at the highest level. One reason I cannot is because he crossed the red line. And what's the red line? Dead people okay. on the streets. He can argue that he didn't give the order. We can have a debate about the legalness of this. But he created an environment that made this possible. So he has a command responsibility. So I will never ever in my life work for someone who literally has blood in his blood because of this. So he crossed the red line. But okay, he crossed the red line, that's happening. Should that mean that I'll spend the next five, six years of my life just criticizing on that issue? Because I know there's a bigger picture out there. And when I say, again, this is not Michelle exclusive. When you say bigger picture, doesn't mean ignore this, right? But definitely there are so many other things happening. And this is where I know I got into big trouble because I tweeted about this to kind of make people feel where I'm coming from. You see, I'm, fr I'm an Ilocano. I was raised in Baguio. And you see, among us Ilocano, it's nine out of them easily are pro Marcuses. And actually there's a rational basis for that. I thought for a long time, this is just like a loyalty, fanaticism, um, let's just call it idiocy, right? Um, no, it's not. Actually, I look at the data. President Marcos really brought so much development to the North. Marcos Highway is one of our ways. We in the North actually benefited from President Duterte. And unfortunately, the result of that is it created some sort of, of inelastic loyalty that transcended all of the nasty things that happened during the Marcos administration, right? So there are many people around me who are pro-Marcos and by extension kind of pro-Duterte too, because Duterte exudes this kind of Marcosian authoritarianism and he's close to the Marcoses. So my point is, okay, if President Duterte, you cross the red line, then these people are supporting Duterte. So 
I have two options. Either I'm gonna say, screw you all, you're all evil. I'm just gonna go to the mountains and, and, and you know, speculate. That's always an option. Buddha had that option after his enlightenment. I'm not saying I'm Buddha, but, <laughs> but the other option is go down back and try to figure out why on earth are people still pro-Marcos and super pro-Duterte in spite of everything, right? And in that, under that kind of rubric of mindset, I'm trying to look at the full picture. And accordingly, I'm writing on all the aspects of this presidency. Of course, foreign policy is really my issue. I've, my first two books were really on global affairs, Middle East and, uh, and East Asia, South, South China City Space. The next one will be again, the Indo-Pacific. Uh, but my previous book was on populism. I have also this book project with Harvard Law School uh, on human rights program. We're talking about pop, penal populism, right? This kind of, I would just call them like, you know, kind of Robin Hood gone, you know, macabre, right? Like, you know, uh, I kill, but I kill the bad guys. <laughs> so I'll protect the good guys. Yeah. So um, this populism thing really made me curious. Where is their charisma coming from? Where is this frustration coming from? Because if you want to fight something that you do not agree with, you have to understand why is that thing powerful, so charismatic to begin with. And it is under that context that I cannot but be scholastic about this. Because once I can better analyze it, maybe I'll never get the Duterte algorithm, <laughs> but the closest I can come to it, it's easier for me to understand, okay, how do we get out of this impasse? Because the impasse is essentially, Duterte now is the, still the de facto change, and then essentially liberal democracy is the return to Antron regime. But I believe that's a false dichotomy, and Lacan talked about one plus one equals three. There's always a third more alternative emancipatory option out there, but I want to really figure it out. Now, maybe you want to call it, uh, am I trying to be uh, kind of the ideologue of the third wave? And I know third wave has, has some sort of bad connotations, but a part of me, yes, I want to figure out how do we get out of this ideological imp uh, impact, uh, impasse? Because if we're locked in the level of discourse, and, because, and discourse superstructure in Marxist language shapes the substructure, and the substructure is the actual politics in this country. And I believe our problem is, as bad as the death is, it's the mindset that creates all of this violence that we have to deal with. And to deal with that mindset, you have to go to discourse. So I was listening to, to what you said, very nuanced take on my answer. Are you anti-Duterte, right? And to me, it's always been clear, but that yeah. you're anything but pro-Duterte. You're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Like from the start, that's been very clear to me. But some people on our side, on the, the critics sure. of Duterte, they're like, no, this, this Heidarian is irredeemable. He is pro-Duterte. Right. Like what, why even have this debate? They're uh, on the same side, right? right? And then when I ask them, so what has he said actually to, to prove that he's pro-Duterte? Yeah. And they can't really show me anything. Right. Um, the, the main, Thing that they've accused you of is you're trolling the yellows, mm. right? Like what you, like you said, sure. your tirades on Twitter, sure. and you've experienced some of the the worst that can come from sure. from the very passionate people on that sure. side. The woke, I call them woke guys. Yeah, the woke. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you yeah. you had some choice things to say about elitists and all that. And I would argue we are elitists in a sense, right? Education, we sure, put sure. value in that. We have that privilege. You butter after this kind of conversation, right? We're having yeah. this kind of conversation. We're speaking in English. There's a technology around exactly, us. So, yeah. like, what, what, what is, what is that, that like? Realizing that the, the animosity can come from both sides. And is it fair to, to compare, like, just to say that, oh, there are trolls on Duterte's side. But there are also trolls on the other mm. side. Like, can you actually compare them? Because for me, I see on one side, there are death threats. 
Sure. They are rape threats. You know, there's sure. all this crassness and sure. disgusting behavior. Sure. And on the other side, there are people who are calling you uh, pro-Duterte right, or right. whatever. Yeah, so yeah, what, what, what's your whole take on this? Well, I spent three, year, three years dealing with the DDS trolls, right? Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, there were times that you had coordinated attacks by SAS, MOCA, Thinking Pinoy. Thinking Pinoy, by the way, was my senior in debate society in UPU, taught me how to commute, right? Um, from Pantranco to when I used to live in Makati. Um, and yes, death threats, all sorts of things. I mean, the only thing they couldn't send to me was rape threat, right? So that's why right. That's where I even feel more yeah. for the women yeah. in our, yes, in right. our camp, let's just call it. You're so right. actually every time I feel like horrible, really horrible, really horrible, I think, well, there are people that are going through even tougher situation, right? I mean, I'm a five, five foot ten, eleven man. I can protect myself in many yeah. ways, right? I am black woman, right? Yeah. right? But what about these women who's like five, two, five, three, vulnerable, beautiful women getting this rape threat, covering the war on crimes, I war on drugs. So, you know, I mean, I always think about it and I ignore it. So for, so I kind of conditioned myself to deal with uh, this DDS trolling and they're really trolls. A lot of them, like they're really coordinated. It's systematic. It's a call center operation. And, and the thing is, you know, it really got ugly from that moment that I and SAS and all agreed to have a debate. Oh my God. They really swarmed my Facebook page. So for some of these people who are attacking me as pro DDS, please just bother to visit my Facebook page. It's yeah. horrible. Right. But you know what? I was already used to it, you know, and I'm kind of, I was very stoic about it. It's on Twitter when I said, you know what? And I look at the surveys. Oh my God, the administration is doing crazy well. The president Duterte is approving. So I said, maybe it's time for us to have an internal soul searching. Like maybe we're not getting it right. So I always make a distinction between two things, right? Um, uh, philosophical liberalism and methodological liberalism, right? Uh, a good friend of mine, Lelo, he talks about liberalism as a modus vivendi, as a way for us to have conversation by agreeing to disagree. But there's also something called philosophical liberalism, that you fundamentally believe that in a society you're never going to have a consensus, that you have to have constant discussions back and forth, and it's an unending, ad infinitum, right? So my point is, I'm philosophically classical liberal, I believe that there's just no way for us to agree on first principles. I experienced that in my own family. By the way, not my mom and dad and all. We are, I and my, my mom and dad and all, we're on the same page. When I talk about family, I talk about extended family, yeah. right? So please don't bash my dad and mom. They're actually very progressive. And I'm very glad about that. Um, sorry, Nalang, don't say but So I'm philosophical liberal. But in terms of the methodology by which we interact with other people, we also have to have certain discussions about that. Now, my point is, by having a conversation with the other side, I don't think that will ever make me rethink my philosophical liberalism, because this, this is deeply ingrained in me, right? Um, because, you know, if I were fascist or conservative, you know, I, I could have just joined the other side a long time ago, and all the benefits and stuff were there, right? And I could have had the adulation of millions of whatever people, right? But no, I didn't choose that. I chose the harder part because I'm a philosophical liberal. But methodologically believe that we cannot just be in our own silos. And by the way, I was not saying all... By the way, you cannot call everyone who criticizes Duterte also Dilawan or liberal, yes, right? Of course. Some people are just out of conscience, including Catholic priests who are not necessarily liberals, right? This is just a question of conscience. But for the sake of discussion and the limitation of the Twitter, maybe I still have to master it. Maybe I learned from You actually increased the number of characters you could use. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, that really helped, right? Um, so I kind of tried to be provocative and say, um, 
Maybe us liberals, we have to also think about what is the method by which we engage the political sphere, including seven out of 10 or eight out of 10 Filipinos who are kind of saying, why not? Maybe Duterte, etc. And the point is, you know, by having this debate with the other side, maybe we can create that space and, and, and that, because the reality is majority of Filipinos are on Facebook. And this is, this is what I learned from being punched from both sides, right? I feel like Prussia being punched by <laughs> Russia and at the same time, no, is that the face, the, the Twitter is really dominated by the liberals and maybe because they're just really good witty, right? They do very well, but Facebook is very much dominated by the DDS side. No question about it. They just beat the other side by several magnitude, uh, uh, degrees of magnitude. And the problem is because you have Facebook free, right? They actually control the more important platform that shapes political discourse, right? Yeah. So those are the things I learned. But anyways, on Twitter, so I just, on Facebook, I felt my credentials are clear that I'm 80% critical of this administration, 20% willing to look at the good side that is happening, not because of Duterte, by the way, Duterte administration is not present Duterte per se. I think the drug war is really a Duterte thing. Yeah. But the build, build, build thing, uh, environmental issues, those are not necessarily Duterte thing. And there yes. are many good people inside the administration that I know. Yes. And who, uh, so, so my point is, I felt it's time for us to reflect on our, our, on our tactics, probably even strategy on how to move forward, right? Because it seems it's not resonating with the majority of Filipino people. We are completely outraged by thousands of dead. And yet if you talk to an average Filipino, an average Filipino, by the way, is not massa, meaning even an average middle class girl, average rich person, I've met a lot, who are saying, give this guy a chance. Maybe this is the way forward. You don't want to go back. So all I'm saying is that we need a soul searching. We need to revisit our strategies or at least our tactics, but we should never compromise our conviction. So our liberal principles will always be there. And even by the act of having a discourse with the other sides, for me, I'm exercising my liberal principles. Otherwise, let's just, you know, let's just go on and, you know, take care of each other. The other thing is I was also very influenced by this writing by David Brooks. I know he's a conservative in the New York Times, but he writes pretty good stuff sometimes. Uh, and his road to character book is actually really, really good. Um, the thing with David Brooks is that he talks about three forms of resistance to evil, right? He says when evil happened, there should be different kinds of resistance. The first kind of resistance was what St. Benedict did in Rome. When Rome was falling apart, uh, amid decadence, the barbarians were coming. He just left Rome, went to the peripheries and helped poor people there, who were anyways never really paid attention to by the Roman em em Empire, right? So that was a St. Benedict option. All of us have that, right? We can go abroad, we can go to Africa, we can go to Mindanao, we can go to the slums in the Philippines and help, help people in tangible ways, right? Instead of fighting this political fight, just go and literally give people food and shelter and all. There's a St. Benedict option and a lot of people are doing that and I don't take it against them, right? There are other people who are gonna stay here in Rome, right? And they're gonna fight it through civil disobedience. So this is the Gandhi option or Martin Luther King option. You go through civil disobedience, you do protests, right? So we're quite familiar with the second one a lot and we yeah. tend to think as the second one as the only one. Right, when there's also the St. Benedict option, because after all, St. Benedict is also saving souls and lives in the outside, right? While we're having debates on Twitter and Facebook, there are actually people suffering who could benefit from five minutes of our time, right? Or if us, we gave them food, right? Yes. And by the way, they're not mutually exclusive. This is the important thing. There's no mutual exclusivity, but there's a third option. And he talked about the case of Gerard Ford, who took over from President Nixon. 
Nixon messed up the American Republic, right? Through the Watergate, through all the shenanigans he was doing, there even confidential information coming out, they classified now that he was even encouraging the military to launch a coup or something like that, right? If ever the Democrats want to take over. So what Gerald Ford did was he essentially repaired the hemorrhage within the state from within, right? Let's just call them the steady state people. And we have, I have some of my good friends who are working in the government who I think are doing that thing. I have friends who wanted to work for Trump administration or inside the Trump already and they're doing the same thing to kind of tame the excesses of a crazy man in power, right? That's what they're doing in the case of Trump administration. So I believe there's also the third option, which is you engage the state and try to swing them in the right direction or try to make sure the pendulum doesn't swing too wildly in the other opposite direction, right? And all three actually can work together because there's no one final formula. As I always say, Martin Luther King would not have been as successful if he didn't have a Malcolm X. You see, these things work together. In the case of Gandhi, everyone talks about Gandhi in the case of India, but you had also other different figures who were fighting a violent revolutionary war in India, which forced the moderates in England to say, let's rather make a deal with Gandhi. In the case of the Philippines, by the way, if not for the communists, the United States would not have thrown up Marcus under the bus because their analysis is if Marcos just continues here, they're going to be, he's going to be toppled by the communist regime. So they said, okay, maybe we can work with the moderates, right? So you see, these are the realities of politics. And I, I get this out of years of scholarship, serious scholarship, right? I can go on with my review of related literature. Yeah. So all I'm saying is this, there's no a single path to Jerusalem. We can all go to Jerusalem, but through different paths. And in some ways, sometimes it has to be actually done all simultaneously, right? And perhaps one person can also do all of that simultaneously. And sometimes I try to do that. Uh, I cannot join protest because technically speaking, I work for yeah. GMA Network, among other things. So I, that puts certain restrictions in terms of me not being involved politically. But you know, if things really go crazy, screw everything, I'm just gonna go to the protest, right? Yeah. Believe me. So we're it, not at that believe point Believe me, yet. it could actually get worse. Yeah. Yeah. You see, Red, I, you know, I spent time in the Middle East too, right? Yeah. I've been in North Korea. I was in North Korea last year. I visit China regularly. I've been in real authoritarian regimes. Believe me, what we have is not authoritarianism yet. We, that's actually, I, I, I call myself a hopeful romantic. I'm not a hopeless romantic because you have still something to fight for, freedom. And I've been in countries when, my God, you cannot even take picture of a certain king or certain figure without being harassed by intelligence officers. That happened to me. So I cannot tell all of these things on, on the record, but you know, I've been to certain, I've been in certain places where I know, oh my God, that's really big brother. That's yeah. really Orwellian. We're not in an Orwell situation because their people are fighting for a democracy and perhaps the authoritarian guys in Malakanyang are not competent enough also because exactly. I've, I've seen competent authoritarian yeah. system, right? Believe me, cutting edge, right? China is just one of them. China is a gold standard, but there's silver standard that I've seen also around the world. So, from, from that perspective, I believe there's still freedom for us to fight for. And from that perspective, I believe if we can have a discussion with the other side, we can still win over more people. And I believe that, okay, 2016, maybe the wrong side won. 2019, it looks like they'll win even more. But there's still 2022 and there's still every year that's going to push through. There are going to be fights in the coming months, my friend. We're going to fight over the new proposed constitution. Duterte is going to bring it back after 2019. So this is where this whole elitism thing is coming from. 
by calling other people idiots and evil and sell out and everything like that, you're just going to alienate them more and more. Believe me, a while ago, I was really, I'm really self-conscious, right? So I have this kind of out-of-body analysis, like, Richard, I never get trolled that crazy because I was not prepared for, by, for trolling from the other side. And yes, getting death threats is scary. I, I had to deal with it with this uh, one side. But, you know, psychological torture is still torture. And, you know, when you have 50, 60, 70 different person, maybe they're not troll trolls, they're not part of a call center operation, but they're so woke and they feel so self-righteous that they attack you. 70% at the same time while you're dealing with thousands on the other side. I'm a human being. I have limitations. So that's why I actually apologize for some of my tweets because I knew it was also a forced mistake. But I want to re retract my argument that we're not going to win the political fight by saying, oh, us, the 5, 10, 20% or 1% are the smart, uh, you know, people are going to be saved and brought to heaven. Uh, and then good luck for the rest of the country. That's not an option. Maybe among the 7, 8%, 7 out of 8 or 10 or 8 Filipinos who support Duterte, there are a lot of them who are actually just looking for a breath of fresh air, a new narrative, a new hope. And so far, by default, Dutertismo is winning it. So you're not going to win that by just being among our own silos. So I'm willing to risk a huge amount of that 20%. Okay, the other 20% are going to hate me no matter what. Some of them might want to opportunistically engage me, right? But the other 20%, I might lose 10%. But if among the 60%, I can sway some people towards the right side, not for my own sake, then it's, it's a fight worth it, definitely. Okay, so you're, <laughs> you've, you've put in the work, you've done the research, you've traveled the world, you know the context of populism, um, which is why you're more measured when you, when for example, people were very afraid of, let's say, the, the debt trap, right? The Chinese sure, debt trap. Sure, sure. You, had, you have an article about that, which is very enlightening to what we should really be afraid of. Right. Uh, because, you know, on the, like there are things like fast progressive, like, like, um, I remember this, this guy making the video, what's his name? Nas Daily. Yeah, Nas Daily. Like, he, he put out something fast. It could be wrong, but because it's progressive, a lot of people buy that. Sure. Your approach is and more... And sensationalist. Yeah, sensationalist. And your approach is more measured, more academic. You have uh, the, the bigger context. And you're not as worried yet. So, what, what are our prospects? Like, what is the trajectory mm. that our country is going to? Dutertismo, like, the, the, the deals with China, like, with that potentially be beneficial for that? How should be worried? I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you don't have enough time to explain all of the details sure, on sure, that. Sure, sure. You have your books and your column for that. But what should we actually be worried about? Yeah. Well, first of all, to our you know friends, our fellow liberal friends, um, if you claim, I mean, if you claim intellectual superiority and having, please read, right? Because my frustration is I've written out at least a thousand articles. I'm not boasting about it. For you to judge me based on a single tweet, you're missing the point. And by the way, on this debt trap issue, I've written on this extensively, yeah. right? But in long format. I haven't done the Nas Daily version, but by the way, I have one coming soon. Uh, we have this show in Jamie Network with Atom Aurelio, Stand for Truth together with YouTube. So we're going to have our own, uh, uh, jokingly we say Dick Daily version or Dick Nightly version. So I'm going to come with two, three minutes spunky. So how many percent of yeah. your life are you? Yeah, so we just did a record, <laughs> we did a recording, so it's going to come out soon, right? We're going to do a nice daily version, but this is based on scholastic research. By the yeah. way, I did a monograph. Oh, by the way, this is with Albert de Rosario Institute, so it, it's as liberal as it can get, right? I'm like classical liberal. It's a 50-page analysis of the BRI, and I've got a shorter version of that. So I'm not talking out of whatever. Yeah. I'm talking out of real research yes. of reading thousands of pages and different reports on BRI. And my next book has at least 
two chapters on the BRI issue alone, right? This is going to be by Palgrave Macmillan yeah. in London. So my point is, this is it. So I went out also in my one, some of my uh, uh, tweets, I said, it, there's not going to be a death trap. And they took, some friends took it like I'm taking the government side, right? Um, my point is, if you want to have the moral high ground, you also have to have intellectual high ground. Because if you're going to get moral high ground based on lies, that's going to catch up with you, my friend, right? That's why it's so very easy for the DDS to attack a lot of people on the other side, because some of them were just lazy. They were sloppy. They were more focused on slogans than actually scientific research, right? Now, when it comes to this death trap issue, I've studied different countries. There are many things to take, take into consideration. Oh, by the way, I even interviewed Prime Minister Mahathir yes. earlier this month, because Mahathir is kind of for me the poster child of BRI skepticism, and it's working very well. And actually, I set up that meeting with Prime Minister Mahathir because, I'll be honest, I wanted to indirectly send a message to the palace. And guess what? The next day after my interview with Mahathir, there was a response from, from Palace. I even, in fact, on the record, asked Prime Minister Mahathir, did you friend, give him friendly advice to the third, right? And Mahathir is a politician, of course, I didn't, but his words are very clear. The idea is this, first of all, I mean, as someone who comes from a very mixed ethnic background, uh, uh, Hispanic and Middle Eastern and so on and so forth, I'm very worried about this kind of anti-China xenophobia in this yeah. country. And I'm not going to name names, but a former professor of mine who also is a resident analyst in GMA and a fellow columnist on Inquirer wrote a very controversial piece about why we supposedly hate China. And that piece was, I think, abhorrent on so many levels. I know that the, that was a woke piece. This person is angry. She's, she's a little bit advanced in her age, but she's a great person. She's a brilliant woman. I have a lot of respect for her. But for me, actually, I kind of was thankful because it kind of reflected this long simmering xenophobia and, and, and ethnocentrism we have to, uh, towards anyone that has China, something China there. And my point is like, First of all, we have to be very careful about this yes. thing. Being Filipino has nothing to do with your skin color, has nothing to do with your ethnic background. It's about your subscription to Filipinoness and a certain fundamental ideas and principles. It's also sharing in the struggles of this country. I'm still in this country. I have an option to be around the world. Yes, I'm going to do some visiting lecture in different universities in Taiwan and Australia soon. But, you know, I'm still here. This is my home and I'm going to fight the fight. Uh, I'm going to fight the fight. Now, so the thing is this, we have to be careful not to have a racialist, yeah. not even racist, racialist definition of what is a Filipino. So one fear I have is that a lot of discussion about China and Duterte are already falling into that kind of racialist stance. And I think it's also related to this kind of, you see, we, did, we had this with the Binais, right? A lot of people didn't agree with the policy of Binai. They got so ugly that they were even talking about their skin color yes, and their features. Yes. That's not how we should do it, man. Definitely you actually not. piss off even more people. And I believe that the same thing is happening with Duterte, like people making fun of his skin and his looks and whatever. But again, with China, there's a lot of racism coming in. So the first thing we have to check here is how much of our criticism about China is about us just not wanting anything that has to do with China. Yeah. Second thing under that is what do we really mean by China? Because our concern is with certain policies, policies of the Communist Party that is ruling the People's Republic of China. We, do, we shouldn't have, and we don't have a problem with 99% of the people in mainland China. And definitely we have no problem with the Chinese people in Singapore, with Chinese people in Taiwan, which are a highly democratic society. We shouldn't necessarily have a problem with Hong Kong or Filipino Chinese, yeah. right? Or Chinese, pure Chinese, ethnic, ethnic Chinese people who are actually citizens of the Philippines, right? So we have to break that down. And this is a very dangerous game. So that's one thing. 
And my own personal ethnic background, mixed ethnic background, made me very conscious about this. The second thing is, the reality is, according to Asian Development Bank, we have $11 billion of annual infrastructure spending deficit. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot cover that on our own. Japan alone cannot cover that. South Korea alone cannot cover that. Of course, I would love to have just Japan funding everything or, or South Korea or whatever. Um, well, not necessarily. There are also problems with the Japanese, but I'd rather have Japan. But there's just so much that Japan can invest here. Yeah. So you need to have a diversified pool of people who will help us with our infrastructure development. That's the second thing. So the first thing is we have to check our biases, uh, sometimes unconscious biases against anything that has to do with China. And that is 500 years of Spanish American colonialism, right? Unfortunately. The second thing is we have to accept that we need a diversified pool of investors. The third thing is we have to accept that there are also many successful cases of Chinese investments around the world. By the way, the, the, the port of Piraeus in Greece is operated by a Chinese company. In Darwin and Australia, the Chinese will be involved. And you know, the Chinese, when it comes to their manufacturing prowess, they're kind of like a grocery, or in fact, they're kind of like, they my authentic car, they my class A, class B, since we're near Green Hills, right? Yeah. It's actually the same. The Chinese can give you class A. I mean, look at a lot of products in the US, including Apple, they're kind of assembled, made in China, right? Yeah. Uh, or there's an added value, but the quality is high because there's a supervision. Uh, so I've been in a lot of countries whereby you, you, I've seen more of the class A of China. In fact, there was a, I met the British, one of the British kind of, uh, vice uh, minister of treasury guys, right? He said, when it comes to China, welcome it, but watch them carefully, right? Because the British have been welcoming Chinese investment, including in the nuclear sector. So there are positive things you can get from China. But, and this is where I go to the Mahathir doctrine. We have nothing against China investment per se, provided they're really investments and they're of quality. We don't want a situation, as Mahathir said, whereby they build the whole island, they build the whole, I mean, they reclaim the whole place, they build the whole kind of condominium, and it's all Chinese people there. That's not investment, my friend, that's, that's something else. And Prime Minister Mahathir, in China, used the word new colonialism yes. in front of the Chinese. That's independent foreign policy. And I'm sorry, I'm disappointed with President Duterte. He's so good in bashing US. What about the other side? Yeah. Because if you're really independent, you criticize both sides, which is exactly what Mahathir is doing, right? So, you know, I'm not fan of Mahathir 1.0, the dictatorial guy, but this is a different Mahathir, or at least he's playing a different role or trying to be a different one. So the fourth one is we have to have clear criteria when it comes to China, right? Uh, Chinese investments. They have to provide jobs for Filipinos. They have to bring technology transfer and increase our productivity levels. And that brings me to the issue of debt trap. There's a very strict technical definition of debt trap. Debt trap is a situation whereby right? It's a fiscal situation whereby your debt to GDP ratio becomes unsustainable, right? So sobrang nagutang ka, and suddenly 67-8% of your GDP, that happened in Malaysia. That happened in Sri Lanka. So Malaysia is same GDP, GDP size as us, but they attracted $100 billion of Chinese investment. My point is I'm actually even more skeptical than the opposition because I don't believe that Philippines will ever get that money. I believe our problem is what I call Chinese chimera or mirage. China. So China is dangling all this money. By the way, I'm talking about Communist Party of China, dangling this money to President Duterte. President Duterte goes excited. Oh my God, they're going to invest tens of billions. Yeah. So you know what? I'm not going to talk about West Philippine Sea anymore, as if arbitration never happened. And that's exactly what's happening. So one thing is we will forward deploy our geopolitical concessions in exchange for paasa. That's even worse than what happened in Malaysia because they still got at least a damn investment, yeah. right? 
And then there's a second layer to this. And the second layer is, is we're going to get investment from China, maybe in the low single digit billions. So we, that's actually small as a, our GDP is 300 billion. Our fiscal situation is better than most emerging markets. We're number two most attractive emerging markets in the world after India. So let's actually believe in the Philippines. We are much stronger than we think. But even if we get few billions of dollars from China, which is small compared to our GDP size, because in Sri Lanka, their GDP is one fourth of us. And then they pile up so much debt, they couldn't control it. And their fiscal space was small. The problem is even if Maliit, you might investment in China did this to Filipinas. If you badly negotiate the contracts, you could end up giving us away even with those small investments. That's why I said, it's not debt trap, my friend, but it's even worse than it. So I'm even more opposition than the opposition. And I think a lot of our DDS friends did not see it. They were trying to use me like, see, even this guy is saying, like, yes. ah, wait, you see, still didn't see where I'm coming from. It's actually even worse, right? Uh, and this is the threat that many people are missing. They're so fearful of being overwhelmed by Chinese investment that they, they forget that there's a possibility that there, it could, there could be a situation where you don't get invested and yet you still give up a lot, yeah. which is even worse. Isn't that what's happening now? And this is my problem. Yeah. So. The other thing is, I cannot come up with statements unless on this issue. This is very sensitive, by yeah. the way, right? I may have already problems with getting visa to China because I need to go back to North Korea. And the only way to go back there is through Beijing, right? Beijing. Now, the point is this. You need evidence. And thank God we have someone like Justice Antonio Carpio. And the fact that it's a justice who is now talking about foreign policy just show what a failure other branches of the government are. What the hell is the Senate doing? What the hell is the Congress yes. doing? What the hell are other executive agencies doing, right? So Justice Carpio is essentially carrying the mantle for, for the rest of the state apparatus. Although the military is doing its own pushback. Secretary Lorenzana is also doing a fantastic job developing our facilities on the ground. But Justice Carpio exposed the contract in... Uh, uh, the Chico Irrigation uh, Dam Project and also Kaliwa. The collateral. And yes, and oh my God. Yes, it's not big. And this is the ridiculous part about the government. Like they said, so on one hand, Duterte says China is going to invest tens of billions. On the other hand, no, no, the investments are small, so we're not going to be in trap. But even if it's small, you should negotiate the, the, uh, the contract. Well, it's a badly negotiated contract. Essentially, China wrote the contract for us for us to sign. That's not how negotiations should happen. We have options. We could play this smarter, right? So I agree with President Duterte that you have to open your, up your options, diversify it. But you have to leverage the fact that we have even the option of diversifying. There are other countries, I know, like Sri Lanka or Laos, no one wants to invest there, right? So they have no choice, China, but we actually have a lot of people who want to invest here, right? So we had that option. I feel we did not negotiate it well. And if titignan mo yung mga kontrata ng, ng Chico River, and ngayon lumabas na yung Kaliwa, because the Chico River was supposed to be a template. That's why it's scary. Hindi to one-off. Yes. One-off, you can say, okay, we made a mistake. We're still new to this. And by the way, we're not new to this. We had NBNZT and North Railway, two kind of big-time failed projects. Under Arroyo administration, guess where is Arroyo now? Advising the president again. So the ghost of past is literally here in flesh, right? Um, sorry, I mean, but, but the point is, I mean, the, the evil side, not the good side. <laughs> sorry, Lord. Um, but the, the thing is, the two projects show how sloppy we were in negotiation. So yes, the interest rate is not too bad. Actually, 2% by Chinese standards and commercial rates is good. It's not good compared to Korea and Japan, which is like 0.2 whatever percent lower. But still, according to these contracts, which they could not deny and I expose, is we're going to put up our national patrimony assets and other lands for commercial purposes 
up as collateral in an event that there's a dispute settlement problem. Now, the government is saying, well, we can pay the debt and this is standard. Oh my God, this is not standard. China, South Korea, you see, Walden Bellio is, is one of my mentors, so you can understand where my thinking is coming from. I'm very critical of the structural adjustment program of World Bank and IMF and all of that. They did horrible things, but never did World Bank or even Japan or even Korea ask for collateral and land. That's dodgy. That's not else. And the second thing with China is they're not part of the Paris Club. The Paris Club is the group of uh, creditor nations uh, who have a clear standards on debt relief. So do some poorer countries, actually they forgave the debt, but they have very clear standards, no? Because you don't also create moral hazard. If you're just gonna be debt and then it's gonna be forgiven, then there's, there's an incentive for corruption, right? In third world countries or fourth world countries for that matter, right? And they have clear standards on transparency, they have clear standards on good guards. China is not part of the Paris Club. And you know what? When I was researching on BRI, you cannot find anything on BRI on any Chinese website that is credible. It's so kalat all over the place. So there's absolutely no transparency in the Chinese BRI. And it took an expose like Justice Carpe for us, you know, not problem So let's say Reed Bank's oil is worth 500 million pesos, right? But this is just not about money, it's about sovereignty. There could be a situation whereby, I don't know, we'll have a dispute settlement problem, and this is where the other problem comes in. Yeah. In an event of dispute, it will go to a China-based court to be resolved where Chinese judges will be the majority. So literally, Lutong Macau or Lutong Beijing, right? So this is a badly negotiated contract. And for me, my fear is this is just tip of the iceberg. That's where I went ballistic. Like probably I'm already undermining my bridges, you know, with some good folks inside, but this is not right, my friend. This is really dodgy. And I hope this is not just the tip of the iceberg. I hope this is already the worst and there'll be a reversal. Yeah. That's why actually I'm taking a very clear stance. Uh, for good friends who are questioning my stance, bother to see. Including my column today, I'm asking, are we a province of China, right? Yeah. Probably I'll be denied visa for, to China for a long time. <laughs> I'm taking a very clear stance on this issue, right? Yeah. Um, so our problem is not debt trap. It's not debt trap. Just look at the technical definition. Because China will never invest as much in our country, which is actually bad. <laughs> But it's even worse because our government could potentially give away a lot in terms of our sovereign rights and sovereign claim and sovereign territory, even for few dodgy, shoddy Chinese investment. That's how bad it is. So you've been very clear about that. And thank, <laughs> thank you. Like you, you've taught me a lot. I've learned a lot of new things. I'll read your other stuff as well. And you should do. But you're doing so much. And you've already mentioned going up the mountain, your stoic response, right. and the role of public intellectuals in this day and age. So how do you cope? Jeez, uh, I don't think I, 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 I okay, so I, I have this kind of very feisty Lohana spirit. I got it from my mom and yeah. all. So our, our style always was like, they punch you, punch back, right? And at some point, you're, it's not sustainable, my friend. Nope. And then, um, you see in the last, Three years since the third ticket, I went through two heartbreaks. That's a lot, right? So already my personal life is suffering, I'll be honest. And I cannot blame my, my previous partners because, you know, when you're stressed, you're also cruel to people around you, right? And then suddenly uh, my dad in January fell into coma. And it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I'm all over the place, literally. I have commitments to write books here. I have op-eds. I'm, I'm already going to have a new project with GMA. So I said, you know what? Go back to basics, go back to basics. So I went back to the stoic literature. And by the way, stoicism is not what you see in the dictionary. Stoic means like, Wala kang no, 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 it's not that. It's not being emotionally dead or zombie. 
Stoicism is based on certain fundamental principles. That's why I'm already going to psychology and spiritualism, but because I had to survive that. I had no assurance I would survive. I really felt like literally death, like inside. I'm like, I'm dying. Like, how can I cope with all of these problems, right? You know, this is like, I didn't see it coming, no? Um, so I went a bit soft probably. So I had to build myself. And then the thing with Stoics is that they have certain basic principles. Number one principle I really love about Stoicism is the dichotomy of control. Yeah. It's very, very important, my friend. Definitely. Because the problem with a lot of public intellectuals or people who are hyper like me or ADHD like me or anything is because you, you become control freak and you have this kind of a demigod complex. You can change people's mind. If you just give me a time, I'm going to convince you because I know so much. The reality is that, you know, reputation, how people view you, actually much of life is really beyond our control. That doesn't mean just sit back and let life take care of itself. That means do your part to the best that you can. And then the rest accept if it doesn't work, then at least you did it, did your part. And actually take joy in that. Yeah. Take joy in that. That's why you can have actually a graceful defeat if you know that you really did your best. So one of the examples that Stoics use is the tennis game, right? I cannot control how the other guy will play. Maybe he's a freaking monster, right? But I can do my best. And sometimes my best will just be good enough to defeat the other guy, right? But if I'm gonna think about what he's gonna do and what I'm gonna do, and, and I, I'm just gonna lose my game, I'm gonna lose it. Yeah. And my point is that if you did your best, even if you lose, you're happy about it. So in the case of my dad, for instance, so you, and I applied stoicism in the most dramatic circumstance you can imagine. So he was in coma for a week or so. Every day I would go to my dad and shout in his ear, hero, Hercules, wake up. Every day, right? No assurance he'll wake up. The doctors kind of gave up on him. He was already complications. Every day I did that. And I said, I cannot control God. What's gonna happen next? I don't know my father will come back, but I'll just do my part. And at least my conscience is clear. As a son, I did my part. And he woke up. I mean, the doctors were, were shocked. That was a miracle in many ways, a medical miracle. But the point is, the stoic mindset allowed me to fulfill my role as a good son during those difficult days. If I were going to be in a non-stoic mode and say, oh my God, it's horrible drama. How is that going to help the situation of my dad or my mom or my sister or everyone who's, who's also in a tough situation? So stoicism allowed me to do the right thing for my dad as my duty as a son and also be strong for my mom and sister who are relying on me because now I'm the man in the family, right? Yeah. So I applied stoicism in the most dramatic situations you can actually imagine. And it worked. It kept me together when I had to really stick it together. Now, okay, I can have a kind of post-traumatic, whatever, but at least in that moment, Stoicism helped me. And the other thing with Stoicism is that it's based on the life experience of people who are in even more stressful situation than I was. Marcus Aurelius, right? Yeah. Emperor of the most powerful empire in ancient history, right? Imagine the kind of headaches that he had, right? Yeah, yeah. And Marcus Aurelius had uh, problems in health. More than half of his children died before reaching puberty. You can imagine what kind of problem. He didn't even want to be an emperor, so he didn't enjoy the power. You, I mean, he has this quotes about, you know, if you have to be in a palace, might as well, like, make something out of it. And he really meant it. It was not even sarcastic, right? And then you have people like Seneca, you know, who came from the province of Spain, yeah. worked it all the way, ended up as advisor of someone like Nero, my God, uh, dealing with the nastiest people in ancient classical history. He thrived, he was a venture capitalist, he was a senator, he got exiled multiple times, and in the end he was asked to execute himself, and he yeah. had a stoic death. Yeah. He, and he applied the dichotomy of control. His yeah. idea was, okay, I'm gonna have the most success I can have, 
And I got a lot of it, I tried, I got, but I'm also have gonna have really lows, including being asked by Nero to kill myself. But you know what? I can peacefully exit this world because I knew I did my best. So I, it's actually working. Now I tried Zen and Buddhism, for sure I continue to read, but I just felt, you know, it's not something that's gonna work for people like me because especially uh, Stoicism focuses also another thing. That's why even Cicero, who was not a Stoic, love the Stoics, right? Yeah. Because they emphasize the notion of duty and on duty is the best essay of Caesar that I suggest everyone to read, especially for us yeah. who want to fight, read the on duties. And, 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 and the reason is they believe that, okay, as much as you have, so the second principle of Stoicism is to minimize neg unnecessary negative emotion. Unnecessary, yeah. not just, just minimize emotion per se or minimize negative emotion, then that's hedonism essentially, just pleasure and all, right? That's not the case. But as much as you have to minimize unnecessary pain is because you need the strength you need to perform your public duties. And in the case of uh, Marcus Aurelius, he was an emperor. In the case of Epictetus, he was a public intellectual, right? From a uh, slave, right? Or, or Rufus. And he was from a slave background. Yeah. He made this true. In the case of Seneca, he was a senator and he was a chief advisor uh, to Nero. So again, I, I could relate it to more. For people like us who are very much embedded in this world, I think uh, Stoicism works. The other thing, I, Stoicism also gives you certain practices. One of the best practices is what they call negative visualization. Oh my God, it yeah. really, really helps. I do it every day. It helps, yeah. In short, it could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. And literally, it could always have been worse, right? So when I was thinking about, again, see, I, 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 so the thing with Stoics is that a philosophy that cannot be practiced is useless. Nang alang, as we Filipinos say, right? Yeah. But see, you, you practice. So when I was like thinking about, oh my God, what's going to happen to my dad? Then I did a Stoic exercise. I had all those years to spend my, with my dad. Many people didn't have an opportunity. It was not guaranteed that I'll have all of those years with my dad. So suddenly I became grateful. I, I'm grateful that my dad is still there, he's breathing, right? I'm grateful that my mom and others are there that I can share my grief with and have joy together. So the negative visualization helped me to realize I have had so much blessings and I'm so unnecessarily just focusing on that 10, 20% negativity. As important as it is, there's so much to be grateful for. So gratitude is another thing that you get out of Stoicism, right? Yeah. And of course, in relation also to, to the uh, dichotomy of control, it's also the fact that I cannot change the past. I have so many regrets about my relationships, how I dealt with other people, how I behaved on Twitter, <laughs> hurt a lot of people. But I always say, there are gonna be days whereby I'm just not gonna be my best. But tomorrow is always a chance for redemption, right? It's really about redemption to me. You know what? This thing with Sasso. Yeah. I told Sasso, I know you from pre-Duterte days. You were an LGBT activist. You spoke in the United Nations. You were on the streets. Now, I don't wanna speculate on what made you do what you did. You cannot change what happened over the past three years, right? I have completely disagreed with Sasa. I'm gonna call her out or that, uh, you know, and she knows that. Uh, we had back and forth about But maybe this dialogue is a chance. There's no guarantee, but I said, this is your chance to redeem yourself. Show to the people that there's still that old Sasa. Right? Hmm. I mean, to be honest, like I'm really approaching our politics right now as a novelist and a psychoanalyst, no longer as a political scientist. I want to understand the human conditions. All of us are which in, in, right? In many ways, if you want to think of the country as a sinking ship, right? Which is not, but 
in certain ways a sinking ship uh, in terms of our morality and political standards and all. We are all going to suffer here. This is zero sum for everyone. I mean, it's like a Titanic that is sinking. Even if you're in the class A, you're still going to sink at some point, right? Yeah. Maybe some get saved, but still not in the case of the boyfriend. But anyways, let's not go there. Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> oh my God, that was such a digression. <laughs> my point is this. You also have to psychoanalyze people. And as I said, going back to Jordan Peterson, I know Jordan Peterson is like hated like hell among liberals. And he, and I kind of relate to Jordan Peterson because he, 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 he kind of can, can get jumpy and say crazy stuff. That happened to me a lot. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of things he says, but Jordan Peterson said something very smart. And I agree with that. He said, fundamentally, if you want to solve politics in a very polarized period, you go back to the basic unit of analysis, which is the individual. If we deal with our own shit internally, psychologically, it could solve a lot of problems in our society. I'll be very honest. I think President Duterte has a lot of shit he has to sort out. And then he ended up as our president and we're suffering as a result of that. Yeah. There are a lot of people in power right now who need a therapist before getting here or they still need a therapist. Now I'm not talking they're like crazy or mad. I mean, they got issues. These people got serious issues. We got issues too and probably we need therapy too. I mean, this is really a difficult situation. So sometimes all you need is that instead of going out in the world and fighting the world, go back within and try to rein in, right? The demons that are taking control of you. And that's again, what stoicism helps me. So yeah. as much as I defend my argument, I'm also very aware I make mistakes. And the number one battle for me is not to win arguments and debates out there. I, mean, I was a competitive debater. I am Lelo had back and forth a lot in semifinals and but I know that the real debate is inside. You know, as some stoic will say, the mind is the enemy sometimes, right? So the one way to solve politics is through individual, psychological, cognitive behavioral therapy. We really need that. Okay. Our leaders need that. We need that. Yeah. Because we're also going through a lot of stress because of what's happening here. Yeah. Richard, thanks so much for Pleasure. your time. Uh, you have a number of things going on. You're going to do that interview with uh, Carpio. Yes, yeah, so later on, I'll be uh, with Justice Carpio. And, uh, That's for the GMA. Uh, yes, that would be GMA. Hopefully, we're going to arrange also. So I already arranged with Prime Minister Matt here previously. Justice Carpio and Secretary Renzan, we also had them last year, December and January. Uh, so hopefully next week, if we can get, hopefully, Vice President Lenny Robredo. Yeah. I've never met her. You, you know that was weird? That's weird. I've met Prime Minister, yeah, heads of state. <laughs> I've never done any, so hopefully we can arrange that. Um, and then hopefully President Duterte after the elections. This is on Stand for Truth, your new... No, this is different. This yet. is the FYI. Okay. This kind of episode monthly I do with, the, with GMA. But Stand for Truth will be starting uh, April 15th. It yeah. will be all weekdays. So I and Atom Aurelio and Joyce Spring will be there. Joyce will do lifestyle. Atom will do the headlines. I'll do the analytics. Yeah. So you, we're going to release actually a new prequel of my analysis of the death trap. Yeah. Right? Sorry, Nas Daily, you were wrong, right? Okay. Because it's actually even worse <laughs> than you had suggested, right? <laughs> and I'll explain that in the context of the Philippines based on real research, right? So this is what we're going to do. And we're going to discuss all important issues. Uh, so yeah, and it's going to be a partnership between uh, uh, GMA Network Philippines uh, because we have fantastic documentaries and we always win awards for that and YouTube. Okay. So the Silicon Valley guys want to actually push for this. Will, uh, this is actually the first project in the region. So this is a pioneering project of 
how to do online news with yeah. analytics really looking forward to and that. millennial yeah. millennial friendly so we're, we're gonna do that so sorry you're gonna see more of me in leather jacket I'm, <laughs> I'm getting bashed for that but my stylist in GMA told me that so no choice I have to just follow it but <laughs> I need to pull it up until my hair goes back yeah okay so any final messages for our audience uh, pro or anti or whatever they, they stand up yeah hate me all you want but the point is watch uh, or please read my stuff right uh, yeah. you may not agree with them I have more than a thousand articles a lot of them out there you can read them you can check my books and all but please uh, watch the debate with me and Sasot uh, the dialogue uh, Miguel Sioko is also going to be there um, so the, and the point is not about DDS versus Dila or I versus Sasot we really need a kind of a shared public square and by the way I made sure this is not going to be DDS platform Inquirer will be there. I'm going to bring my own GMA network. This is going to be live stream. No room for shenanigans and editing and all. We're covering all the bases, my friend. And by the way, all the proceeds from the tickets will actually go straight to Marawi. And I, I would be more than happy to go to Marawi and help with the, with the efforts of reconstruction and helping our victims and also people in the AFP, the victims, uh, I mean, uh, our veterans from the AFP. So please support this because if you're truly a liberal, you will believe in the power of discourse and you'll believe in discourse as a source of redemption. There's so many people who are, who are hungry, who are really hungry for a proper discussion. And believe me, I'm not joking here. I'm really gonna argue for what I believe is the right cause. And we believe what is right cause for us is the right cause, because we at least know what is also the evil that is happening in our country. All right, thank you guys. Okay. Benefit the doubt, hashtag. <laughs> Please like, share, and subscribe. You know the drill. If you want to discuss what we talked about, we'll do so at the meetup. Um, till next week, thank you everyone and see you.